I'll admit right from the start, uh, I'm like a really big fan of yours and have been since like high school. So <laughs> I'm going to do my best not to be like the, you know, awkward uh, celebrity crush sounding thing where I'm trying to prove to you that I'm a mega fan or something. Oh, buddy, I'll be plenty awkward for you. So <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry at all. Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm really excited to bring you the writer-director behind the new short film, Darker Colors, co-founder of the company Plot Devices, and a senior content creator making shorts and amazing tutorials at Red Giant. Welcome to the show, Seth Worley. Seth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So to kick things off on the show, we uh, like to start things off with a little icebreaker question from the audience. So today, uh, this one felt appropriate for you. Christian asks, if you could be any kind of dinosaur, which dinosaur would you be and why? It's an excellent question. Oh boy. So the thing is, I would say Tyrannosaurus, but it's been determined since Jurassic park that the tyrannosaurus rex was likely more a scavenger that's 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 my most recent data uh, which may be outdated already well it doesn't specify that it has to be the real version so it could be the the fictional version in uh you know spielberg movies oh god the um, fictional version let's go even beyond that i'd be the fictional uh you know i'm i'm gonna stick with tyrannosaurus i like being i relate to him because he's a he's a he's a big tall guy who draws a lot of attention to himself and if he trips and falls, there's nothing to stop him from face planting <laughs> into the ground. That <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think I I, I deeply relate in in more ways than I'm comfortable with to uh, <laughs> to that species. Yeah, uh, we won't uh, we won't unpack that any further. Uh, <laughs> so, if you have any questions that you'd like me to ask a guest on the show, you can tweet me at launch.fm with the hashtag icebreaker, and I might ask a future guest uh, your question on the show. So, Seth, before we get into Darker Colors and some of the other things that I am really excited to talk to you about, um, let's give people a primer on who you are, um, especially like a lot of the guests that I have on this show, because I'm an iOS app developer. A lot of the other guests have been iOS app developers. And I think the audience is probably uh, people who like are software developers or designers or something like that. And so not everybody might be familiar with who you are already. So what? Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's my expected audience. There's no one. Although I will say you do, you do have a couple of uh, apps in your, in your uh, portfolio, but maybe we can get to that. Um, so the question I always ask everybody is uh, where are you from? Do you have any like formal education uh, related to what you do? And then what was your career like? Or what has been the sort of long trajectory of your career uh, leading up to Darker Colors? Uh, great questions. I am from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I am here currently. You know, over the years, I just got back from living in Los Angeles for three years. Other than that, the only other place I've lived is Waco, Texas, when I went to Baylor for a year uh, for my freshman year of college. Which answers your, I believe, second question. I have one, let's see, one and a half years technically of formal education. And then during my freshman year at Baylor, I started getting small like videography jobs within the the Christian music business in Nashville, like doing uh, press kit videos for, for bands and such. And that was more interesting to me than the classes that I was doing poorly in. And so... 
I, to this day, only have about a year and a half of formal education. Everything else I've learned from, I've been, I've been making movies since I was literally a kid. And, you know, I'm of the generation that learned uh, the vast majority of what I learned from DVD bonus features and commentaries. Yes. Uh, and, and then Andrew Kramer tutorials and uh, Ryan Connolly, you know, film ride episodes and anything, you know, a day and age where you can learn and, you know, 101 course on literally anything via YouTube, uh, that's for better or for worse where the majority of my learning came from. That and experience. Obviously, I'd say about 90% of it was from experience and the other 10% was from actually looking for information to learn. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of awesome how... This is a thing everywhere, not just in the film world, but uh, for me, I was the exact same way. Actually, starting with VHS bonus features uh, with the Star Wars Special Edition, uh, don't sue me, but like... Oh, I can't. Yeah, I'm not going to see. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Uh, but like how you can go from watching these people who are just kind of making tutorials as they figure things out to like you said, Andrew Kramer, when he started, they were, he was like another person making very good, but still just like kind of another person making tutorials and then watching him sort of rise the ranks through the visual effects world and making actual effects for Star Wars. Yet he still does these tutorials and you're sort of getting to learn from somebody who's like deeply experienced in this world that is like amazing to me yeah yeah we there's a great many of us who owe andrew kramer a little small part of our paychecks uh (laughs) once a month because without him you know i let's see it was 2010 2009 2010 i was working um a day job making videos uh, for events and youth and kids summer camps just making videos that played at these events and i would use those videos as like they were usually opening videos or bumpers or some of them allowed me to do these like narrative series with recurring characters that had to follow the theme of a of a bible study that week and but we could didn't have to be spiritual religious and the rhetoric of the uh or the vocabulary of the of the series it could just be loosely parallel to the themes and so I would use those as a way to kind of cut my teeth in narrative stuff as an adult, much in the same way that I was doing it with my friends in our back, my backyard and, uh, you know, or in the halls of my high school, I would just kind of decide, I want to try something. Let's write a story around that thing I want to try. And about 2009, 2010, that thing was After Effects. Like I really wanted to learn, uh, finally learn After Effects. I had up to that point, all the visual effects that I was doing is I've always been fascinated with visual effects. I was doing those either in camera or in my Final Cut Pro timeline, or I, for a year I learned Apple Motion. So I found out about Andrew Kramer's tutorials through J.J. Abrams, uh, that issue of Wired Magazine that he edited. He featured, He mentioned several, there's like one section, one page where he mentions four or five people, places, and things that get him excited or that he uh, thinks you should know about. And one of them was Video Copilot and Andrew Kramer's site. And I ate up those tutorials in a year and learned After Effects in a year. And then it's really crazy. This is how good Andrew, how good of a teacher Andrew is. I had never opened After Effects before 2009. And then by mid-2010, I was posting work that I was doing, tagging, like mentioning what third-party plugins I was using, including Red Giant plugins. And Arn Rabinowitz reached out to me and so had seen some of my work and invited me to come make a short film for Red Giant. Uh, I had never opened After Effects a year before that. Um, and so 
the Kramers is such an amazing teacher and just a freakishly talented guy um, that his work is both his work is not just it's not just educational it's also inspiring and it can push you to make really really amazing stuff on your own so yeah I can't yeah this has become the Andrew Kramer podcast but <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that <laughs> this might be the only opportunity I get to talk about Andrew Kramer on this podcast so I'll, I'm going to take the chance I can I, I would say like because there's a lot of you know software developers that make tutorials and stuff too. That's like a, a big oh, yeah. thing. And it was interesting because I was in more of the film world and then moved into software. And so I had all like you and Andrew Kramer and Stu Mastrowitz and some of these people that have been making really cool tutorials for a while and moving into the software world and doing the same thing. There's an interesting change because, uh, software developers aren't natural storytellers. And so <laughs> there's a little bit less of this like sort of natural narrative. And there's a couple of people who do it and do it well. And it's profound. But if you're a person who makes tutorials in anything, whether it's software or, well, I guess it's usually software, but software development or, uh, you know, garage band or whatever, I would really recommend like going and watching a Andrew Kramer tutorial, especially some of the newer ones or, uh, Seth Worley, which I'll link to some of them. Like you just released one, I think this morning or yesterday about uh, the titles that you did for your darker color short. Oh yeah. It's actually last week, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's um, uh, oh, yes, you were right. I it did release. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know what I was going with that. No, but like you, you do it in this style that even if the technology, even if you're using like a plugin, I don't own, you know, I've been watching, like, devouring your red, not just yours, but you and Aaron and uh, the whole team, your tutorials that you make, even for software I don't own, because it's so fascinating to watch somebody's, like, workflow, and you guys do it in a sort of narrative, interesting, fun way. I, is that, like, natural, or... Because even, like, your very first one you did was like that. Oh, it's very natural. I'm telling you, the number of, like, the number of Swift tutorials that I've watched, even though I don't... Uh, I have tried and failed. Uh, really, I've never opened, um, and I literally can't even tell you. I can't even recall what the freaking app is called. The, the playgrounds, devel- the Apple Apple's development app. What is that? Well, the new one's Playgrounds now, isn't it? With the oh Xcode, yeah Xcode. There it is. I've opened Xcode and I've closed it. That is all I've done. <laughs> but I have, but I've watched so many Swift tutorials, and I've watched. Uh, I mean, not to mention like just gaming playthroughs. Like there are games that I think that I've played, but it's only because I sat up one night and watched the entire game played through by <laughs> by somebody with an accent I can't place. And it's very natural. And like, and I, I can't speak for any, you know, for Hashi or RN or Kramer. Uh, but I know when I make tutorials, uh, my biggest fear is boring anybody and wasting anybody's time that and spiders. And <laughs> so while I'm just convinced that I, it, it's, you know, I've always tried to take those things that make me, that could that potentially hold me back from doing something, things I'm afraid of, things I'm self-conscious about. And I think those are always things that are actually opportunities for you to distinguish your voice in some way. And so for me in that, in the realm of tutorials, you know, you watch my tutorials, they go really fast, um, for better or for worse, and they are filled with incredibly stupid jokes more often than educational points. And it really came from the first tutorial I ever did that when Aaron reached out to me to do a tutorial for Red Giant um, back in 2010, I did it the traditional way where you set up a screen capture and you walk through and talk through the effect, the effect while you're building it. 
And the whole thing was just me making weird mouth noises and saying, uh, like constantly, like the way I'm probably doing, like in this, uh, podcast interview. And I, I got through with it and I was like, I'm not using any of that audio. I went through and I just edited. I took all the key points of the video, the visual, the actual visual of the video, dumped the audio and went back and basically cut the fastest version of the tutorial I could and then, uh, opened up the audio recorder part of it and just talked over the tutorial as I watched it. And anytime I got to an, uh, I would stop it and go back. I would kind of plan the next little section and I would go through and talk. And because I edited it to move so fast, I started talking so fast. And my whole goal was just to make a tutorial that would be over and done with before people got bored. And a lot of people complained, uh, cause they had no idea what they had just watched. <laughs> um, but over time I developed this kind of voice that I've had now in, the, in my tutorials, which, I don't get super deep into the nitty gritty of things, mainly because I don't know the nitty gritty of things. I'm very much like a creative blind man groping around in the dark uh, when it comes to visual effects and motion graphics. And when I find something that I, I really like, I pretend that it was what I was going for the whole time. But because of that awareness, that self-consciousness, I, I just found ways to turn that into a strength and turn that into like it's a feature, not a bug. I forgot your original question. So I hope I answered it. I think I did. No, that's, I mean, honestly, I'm just sort of mining you for uh, ideas for like, if I ever go to start making tutorials. So you're just giving me all sorts of stuff that I'm going to use. Oh, good. So that one that you were talking about, that was the lost smoke monster one, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's the first time I remember like hearing about you and it, it, I had the exact same reaction that you probably were saying where it was like, this is very different. But my version of it was I comprehended everything that just happened. And I think it was because I was watching it, not trying to follow along like at me doing it at the same time, because I think if I was doing that, it would have been overwhelming. But instead I followed your like process on how you solved the problems as you went. And I remember you just going through over and over and being like, there's probably a better way to do this, but this is kind of how I figured it out. And yeah, that's probably going on my tombstone. There was probably a better way to do this, <laughs> but like that was a, as a, you know, like high schooler that was also doing videos for uh, my church, just trying to solve this problem so I could get to the next thing because I had a deadline on Friday. You know what I mean? It was like, those are the types of things I needed is like, this is how you can brute force your way through it. Maybe a professional who is an expert knows this better, but this is how I solve these problems as I went. That was really helpful for me. Oh, that's really sweet of you. I remember uh, on that tutorial, just the, the th I'm with you. Like I, I don't actually know if I've ever done a tutorial, followed along and done the effect during, cause what happens, I have, I have like, I'm heavily medicated for attention deficit disorder. I am one of the most ADD people you'll ever meet. So when I watch tutorial, what usually happens is I get about 20 or 30% of the way in. There's some, and there's always some thing that will, that the, the tutorial voice, the person will do that Kramer or Hashi or somebody will do that. I sh will be slapping myself for the fact that I didn't know that was a feature in after effects. Yeah. And I will suddenly get a thousand ideas for things I could do with that. And whether I ever come back and do the effect that was being taught in that tutorial, I, that sends me off on this rabbit trail of making all like a whole new world of things that I didn't know was possible. And so I stopped. I don't think I've ever really tried to follow a tutorial. I usually just watch it to try to see what's the idea. What are they doing here? What are they doing here? And then I'm going to go in and break things because I, I learn more from going in and breaking stuff and, 
and figure it out myself better than I do just following instructions. It's usually you follow instructions the first time, then you lose the instructions, and then you come back and you have to do it from memory, and that's when you really kind of learn how to do it. So I, I love that. Makes me very happy to hear that you benefited. Someone benefited from any of the tutorials I've made. It's it's interesting because there's there's sort of this like new batch of like micro tutorials that I've noticed that can fit in like an Instagram story or a set of Instagram stories yeah. where there's not even a voice. It's just uh, and I've seen this both for software dev and for uh, visual effects where it's kind of like, hey, here's this little tiny thing, and here's how I made this little tiny thing. And I'm going to make it so fast that you can watch it five times in a row. But like it has that exact same impact that what you were just talking about. It's it's that like 30 second moment in an Andrew Kramer tutorial where he's like, and then I popped over this, you know, random obscure blur effect that you've never used before. And the reason this is cool is because you can do X, Y, Z with it. And it unlocks all these other things that I've been struggling with that are totally unrelated. But it's like it shows you how to use a little tool that you didn't know how to use before. Yeah. I mean, that's Daniel Hashimoto. Hashi. Um, yeah, he's, goes, uh, he's the king of that. He has like his tutorials will have 20 or 30 things that he'll do. And it'll, it'll be done like stuff like I didn't like, oh, yeah, I definitely knew you could mouse around camera track points to select camera track points to create a plane. that You didn't have to click on them individually. Definitely knew that. Definitely been doing that for years. Uh, stuff like, oh, Hashi and I both talk about how with Stu, with Stu Mashwitz, we... Regularly, Stu will be doing a product demo for us. Like he was demoing this new tool that Red Giant has called SuperComp. That uh, is, it's the most intuitive, brilliant way of doing composites. And I won't dive into that uh, nerdiness, but I can if you want. But he was doing a product demo of it for us, and he was saying, "So naturally, you want to when you composite an explosion, you're going to want to add blur behind the explosion, uh, heat blur behind it." And Hashi and I both are just like. Oh, yeah, definitely. We definitely always <laughs> do that with our fire comps. Like, no, of course you do. That makes total sense now. But no one ever, like, shows up at your door handing you fire stock elements saying, now you're going to want to put some blur behind these. Like, no, you rip it open and you just drop the fire in and you add glow and you think you're done. And it, blew, it blows my mind, like, uh, that I'm constantly learning how dumb I am um, from the smarter people. Well, and like for anybody who doesn't know who Stu Mashtowitz is, he's, he's another, uh, he's, I don't remember what his title is, but he, he helps like design the software for a lot of the red giant plugins, right? He's red giants, chief creative officer. Yeah. He, he has a history of, he has a, he has a criminal record in the visual effects industry. <laughs> he worked for several years at industrial light and magic. Um, during a year that was like my prime cinema viewership. And I was like, during the time I was in sixth grade. So he worked on Star Trek First Contact, Twister. And he, uh, so he has so much, and Mission Impossible 1, uh, he has so much inside baseball from all that stuff. But he worked there and then he started his own uh, VFX house called The Orphanage. And The Orphanage, they, I mean, that's the VFX house that created Iron Man's hut. Like that, they created that entire look and style that now is is the hut look. And he, while he was at the orphanage, he developed this, uh, he developed Magic Bullet, which is, uh, is color correction, so color grading, color correction software that's now, we now make it Red Giant with Stu. And, and Stu is now our chief creative officer who oversees all of our products. He also has a, he's had his own blog for years called ProLost. He does, uh, that deals, uh, talks about uh, photography, filmmaking, technology. The guy, the guy is just this walking, I'm trying to think of the right word here, but he like, 
He has his own mash Wikipedia where it's like random just idioms and phrases that are the most weird and accurate and articulate ways of describing common things. The guy, the guy is just like this walking uh, pile of practical wisdom. Well, it's practical wisdom, but he he seemed to like grow up in the industry at a time when they were doing the like low level stuff, which is why he would know you put a blurry behind a explosion or something because he like probably spent time studying real life explosions to try and mimic those in the sort of more rudimentary software that they had in like the nineties or whatever. Yeah. It was very early days of, of, of digital imagery, like of uh, visual effects. And he, he was on this team called the rebel Mac unit at ILM headed up by John Knoll who invented Photoshop and is now the creative chief at ILM. Um, he, that team, they were doing work on their, on their MacBooks, like on their iBooks, and they were doing work on their MacBooks and on their uh, iMacs and stuff, like do on using After Effects at Industrial Light and Magic. So there was like the main VFX team working on ILM's internal software, making Dragonheart and Jurassic Park and all these things. And here was Stu and John Knoll over on laptops animating <laughs> helicopters and tunnels and uh, houses rolling in front of Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. Um, it's it's pretty cool. It's it's. It's funny. It's like we think. I, I would love to say that 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 there were like two golden eras, like not golden eras, but like really exciting uh, eras of visual effects. Um, at least in industrial light, and, at least in industrial light and magic. Uh, there was in the eighties, and then there's there's like late seventies and the eighties where you saw them making Star Wars, you saw them making Indiana Jones movies, you saw them doing all these amazing practical effects, and then you have the nineties where you see the digital effects coming in, and now it feels like, well, what's new and exciting? Like how how is that spirit still there? And what's funny, it's more it feels more like it's there on an individual basis. It's there on with the way that this the technology and everything is democratized now. And Stu knows this. This is why he, he like he's been so outspoken as a teacher and a wise sage. Is that whereas before you know there was a period where the industry itself was figuring out was was having the oh my gosh I didn't realize I could do this or oh what if we did this then we could do this and they're still doing that on a much more technical scale I imagine but like that primal really raw like. Oh my god! I had no idea that I could put fire into the shot, and I could put, I could blur behind it. Like that's happening on an individual basis every day for kids on their phones, and yeah, it's crazy. It's 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 crazy and exciting. And yeah, you're right. He's he's uh, he's the best. So now it's the Andrew Kramer podcast, the Stu Mashwitz <laughs> podcast. Let's move on to. I think I've answered your ultimate question. You're going to ask me at the end of the podcast by basically saying everyone that inspires me. In my oh life. yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, so I guess getting back to you then, uh, please, I guess it's not a terrible thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we kind of have touched on it, but it, through that initial sort of tutorial and then making a short film, you got brought into the, uh, red giant fold, which is a, uh, company software company that makes plugins primarily for after effects, right? Yeah. Well, after, well, not just after effects, after effects, premiere, final cut, um, several different host apps, but we talk, you probably hear about after effects the most. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but your role there was, was actually like both tutorials, but also making short films that like sort of show off their different products. Right. Yeah. There was, um, so it was late 2010, early 2011. 
I made this first tutorial with Red Giant and Aaron Rabinowitz, the head of marketing, had pitched this idea to the rest of the Red Giant team. Unbeknownst to me, he had pitched this idea that he wanted to make, in his words, a viral short film, a standalone narrative short film that could, you know, that would be super entertaining and exciting and, and, and exist in its own, um, exist on its own and then have a making of a separate making of video piece that would show off how Red Giant software was used to make it. And the short that that became uh, was called Plot Device. And this, it came out in the summer of 2011. And that was, that was a season, a very interesting season in the film industry where you could put, uh, amateur filmmaker could make a short film, put it online and it goes, and it would, and it go viral and people actually watch the whole thing and share it with people. And then, uh, suddenly they're directing a Thor movie two months later. Yeah. Like, uh, I always think of Dan Trachtenberg as yeah, the I mean, sort of great example of that. I mean, yes, but he also the thing is like with every, with all these guys, and especially with Dan, you know, what everybody saw was Dan made a portal short and then he, and then he got to make 10 Cloverfield lane. But, um, Dan, I've had several conversations with Dan. Uh, we're not like close friends, but uh, we're big fans of each other. And we have several mutual friends. And I know Dan was hustling and still every day is hustling. He was hustling nonstop. Like in the time between like making that portal short and getting 10 Cloverfield Lane, the guy was directing commercials. The guy was pitching projects everywhere. He was attached to things that never went anywhere. Um but you're right. He made that portal short and people watched it and they passed it around. And then when was the last time you kind of remember that happening? Like I would say Colin Levy's film. Um, oh my God. I almost want to, I always, always want to say Skydancer with Skywatch. Uh, and please, good God, correct this later. If I got it wrong, I'm now <laughs> terrified that I, that it's not Skywatch, but it's a really fun short that Colin made about, well, it's, you want to say it's about Jude Law because Jude Law's in it. And when you hear Jude Law's in it, it's like, well, that's a huge deal. He got Jude Law at the end of his short. But it's this really fun short. You should go find Skywatch by Colin Levy. He made, he, like, that's probably the last short that I've seen go quote unquote viral. And it, you can, like, the, the times have changed. There's so much content out there now that we, it's really hard to get us to click play on a video, especially if it's an original, like, if it's original content that we have never seen before. If it's a narrative, it's a short film, and if the runtime appears to be longer than, you know, two minutes, yeah. it's really tough to hit play. Um, and I'm guilty of that too. Uh, but back in 2011, it was, I mean, it's like people were clicking play on things that didn't have play buttons. So I suddenly found myself with voicemails and text messages, uh, voicemails and emails from people that I had never given my number to, people in LA, agents, managers, producers, executives, and uh, it was very exciting. Um, I got an agent out of the process, uh, several, and this is, this is, before this happened, I knew nobody in LA. Um, and so that kind of begun that my relationship with the actual industry and around the same time over the next year, like, you know, Red Giant was really excited with how that, uh, played out and the experience of making the short end of just the, the kind of credibility it brought, the company and the products by having actual, you know, creative work created with their tools, um, to show, to showcase. And so 
we ended up making several more shorts over the next several years. And in that time, I became full-time at Red Giant. Uh, initially, it was just to keep making films. Uh, eventually, that we kind of slowed down the creation of the making of of short films and moved to making, you know, just strictly tutorials. And then it became these kind of quasi tutorial, quasi short things called film team experiments. And then my role became a little more of for a period of time became a little more of, I ran the social media channels for a season of time. Uh, and now my role is very much just kind of make, it's really back to just make cool things. If you, there's something cool you can make, with our with red giant tools or there's something you want to be able to make but we don't have the tools to do it get with the products team and talk about what that thing could be and uh it's a freakishly good job it's a freakishly fun job and it's stupid that i still have it because nobody should have a job with this much freedom and this much fun stuff to do and this much opportunity and and collaboration with people around me that um for as long as i've had it it's really it's really been great so I want to touch on uh, with plot device, what you were kind of talking about where you, you know, that came out, it went viral uh, and you were getting all this attention. And I, I remember listening to a podcast a couple of years ago that you did. I think it was with Ryan Connolly, where you talked about the concept of like heat, which I guess is a well-known concept in Hollywood. Yeah. And like how, you know, after this period there was, you had all this heat, but it was like, you knew that it was going to, Wayne off and you were trying to take advantage of it while you had it. Yeah, it was, uh, yes, I was trying to take advantage of it in the only way that I knew how and looking back on it. Yes. So, you know, uh, Stu Mashwitz himself gave me really good advice. He said, you know, agents are heat seeking missiles. They are going to like, they're not going to generate the heat. You are going to be the one who's always going to have to generate the heat and they will chase it and they will support you and help you get it made. But they're not gonna they're not gonna build a project for you uh, to get attached to and ride into the sunset on. It's up to you. And and so I I didn't I didn't know at the time. I mean I had a here's what I knew at the time. I knew people are really wanting to meet with me. They love my short. They are trying to attach me to things that I have no business directing like i they're trying to find me jobs that i am not qualified for yet like i'm way i don't have enough experience to do well and the main thing that i knew was this uh was not going to last forever it was probably not going to last longer than another couple weeks and so my goal was just to it was like i described as it's a wave that's going to crash and when that wave comes back down i don't want to land on my face like an idiot. Like I want to land on my feet, try to make as graceful a transition back to the ground as possible with as many contacts in my portfolio now as I pop out here as I possibly can and try to develop long-term relationships as I build my career. What I know now looking back was that you don't get those opportunities very often. Like it's very rare that you suddenly are on everyone's mind and everyone's call list and you are like you that you have heat and when you do the standard practice is you need to be prepared to you need a list of projects that you want to get off the ground and you need to use that heat to get one of those projects made and to get yourself attached to other projects and so had i had more experience in the industry at that point i you know i mean really i can't play that game of what ifs like I still do. I still look back and I think this is how I should have handled this. God, I, I'd be, I would have had a feature under my belt now at this point had I just done X or Y. But uh, the fact of the matter is, like, 
like I said on Connolly's podcast, I was very young and I was fortunate to know how stupid I was at the moment. And it sounds like I was being uh, self-deprecating or, you know, letting fear kick in, but no, it was practicality. Like I saw you end up, I'm not going to name them by names, but you can find stories of directors from that season of time that got their big break and did direct one or two features but then either they kind of imploded or the projects they were on kind of imploded and they got a bad rep for it. And I'm grateful that I haven't had that experience. Uh, I am getting desperate enough now to where I'm like, well, I'll take that over not getting to do whatever. But <laughs> but now you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I mean, that like weirdly, that little concept was one of my things when I was first building the show that I was actually thinking about because... It's something completely unrelated to my field, but whenever I released uh, my first app last summer, it just, you know, through both obviously hard work, but also a lot of luck, it kind of did take hold and I got a little bit of attention in the industry. And obviously this is a extremely tiny version of, of what we're talking about with plot devices, but I remember having listened to that podcast somewhat re- recently and going, okay, this is this is that same concept. This is like heat. And I need to realize like, I'm getting all these emails from people and uh, all these journalists are wanting to talk to me and people are like, Hey, we should make an app together. That kind of thing. And I remember thinking of exactly what you were talking about and thinking, all right, don't get too excited and jump on everything, but also know that this is going to go away in, you know, a very brief amount of time and like take a step back and think about whenever this goes away, what do you want things to look like? And I took the approach basically that you said, which was, try to make as many contacts as I can so that I have friends that hopefully last past when there's no longer any heat. Right. Yeah. And, and that like, that felt like that was the right way to go. And it's been, it's been good since then. And obviously it's totally different. Uh, cause I'm not meeting with like executives of, you know, studios or something like that, but no, it's not that much different. It really isn't. It's essentially you're trying and trying and trying to get attention on your work. And then when you have it, you suddenly now have the responsibility of knowing what to do with that attention while you have it because you might not get it again. I made, you know, I made the mistake of thinking that just because I was confident in my ability to make more cool things as cool or as great as plot device. Like I, I didn't realize that's different than my ability to generate attention on my work um, and generate heat. Like I can tell you right now, I've made several shorts that I think are better than plot device and that I like better than plot device and have, and have gotten you know, great reception reviews, but I have yet to get the amount of attention that that short got. And that has to do with things that are outside of my control, things like timing and luck and just the overall landscape and climate of the industry and of the internet and audiences. And so it, it is, it's, it's, it's very, I mean, what you're talking about is de- not very different at all. It's getting suddenly having attention on your work and knowing what to do with it and knowing what you want to come out of it. And so if we, if we like fast forward a little bit, one of the things that has seemed to be one of your goals over the last couple of years, at least maybe longer is, is to make a feature. And so you've sort of been building to that and your release of your new short darker colors, which came out uh, at the end of February, right? Yeah. That was sort of part of this overall strategy to try and move you towards potentially getting a feature. Is that an accurate way of phrasing that? Yes. Yes, it was. So I guess for starters, for anybody who hasn't seen it, one, uh, if you can, you should pause this and just go watch it because one, it's fantastic. And two, it's going to make more sense if you've seen it. Uh, but could you like just give a brief overview of w- how this project came about? 
Uh, I can give you an overview. Uh, whether it's brief will be de- decided. By <laughs> um, so I had this idea for the feature version of the story in, I'm trying to remember the year. It was 2016, I think. And just kind of, I, I am very, sw- I'll get ideas and I either move very fast on them if they have an, a- an outlet. Like there was a, you know, the early seasons of making shorts with Red Giant, that early, that first year of making shorts. If I had an idea, I went and made a short out of it. So, and moved fast. How, not to cut you off already, but like, how do you kind of collect and look over your ideas. Do you have like some sort of mechanism? Yes. Uh, it's ch- It changes over the years. It's changed over the years. And that's just because technology changes and you often need like a fresh reboot of your surroundings to stay fresh. The thing I've done for the past several years, I, if I, the minute I get an idea. So the way I see it, when you get an, when I get an idea for things, for a story, I don't just get the log line and the plot synopsis. I get like, a giant pile of of weird, disjointed, disorganized ideas for plot, character, scenes, action sequences, comedy bits, uh, title designs, uh, uh, certain shots. I, I just all these things that to me, like, oh my god, a movie is forming in my head. I better write it down, and I go and I write it all down, and I try to get it into a document. I use IA Writer as my favorite notes doc. Okay, yeah, yeah. I have a I have a, a iOS shortcut that I've built um, called Quick Notes that it's for basically it serves two functions. The first thing it does, if I when I, I made it a uh, a shortcut, uh, like a what do you call it when you put it on the home screen? I have a home screen short, shortcut. I'll tap it. First thing it'll do is it'll check to see if I have any if I'm there any if there's a meeting I'm in according to my calendar. And if it's in there it'll offer for me to pick the meeting and it will immediately open up IA Writer with the header in place uh with the title for what meeting I'm in. Uh, and then hashtags uh, based on who's in that meeting, wh- what uh, wor- work-related area that meeting is related to. Because I'm, I'm, I'm one. When you open IA Writer and you start a document, it's going to title that document whatever you write in the first line. And I'm so OCD. I want to get that thing. I want to get the header, and I want to get the hashtags underneath, and then I want to get to work. Uh, I don't want to go back and fix that all that stuff later. And if you do that manually, you've probably lost half of the idea. Exactly. So I will. Uh, I'll tap this quick notes thing. It'll come up, get me as fast as possible into a document and I'll just start typing out my disjointed ideas and stuff. And then I'll keep coming back to it because the ideas will kind of usually keep flowing for the rest of the afternoon uh, or like a lot of them over the, like that, the rest of that day. And then over the next week, I'll be getting them and then it kind of slows over the course of a month. And then it's just this big document that really makes no sense to anybody but me. And then that's when the ideas kind of stop flowing from the magical alternate dimension of Storyland, uh, where cool ideas come from. They stop sending me stuff. And then it's just up to me to take this pile of ideas and connect them into a cohesive linear story. And that's the part that's the, that's the worst part of writing. And so... I will often live with that document, which I call a. Uh, actually, I'm not going to tell you what it's called because it's it's based it's based on us on an app idea that. Um, Ooh. Stu Mashowitz had first, and we discussed together at a certain point. But it's it's his it's his thing, and in case he uses the name, I don't want to say it. Um, I'll Fair tell you enough. off, Mike. I'll tell you off, Mike. But um, so in that doc. A lot of times that stuff will just live in that doc. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll then take that if I'm still, 
if I am self-disciplined enough, I will take those things and I'll, uh, th- by the, I'm sorry, by the way, this is all if only if I just have my phone on me, which is normally when it happens is when I don't have my notebooks with me. Oh yeah. The best idea is come whenever you're like sitting on the toilet or something. Definitely. And you're like, Crap. I need to get, well, literally. Definitely. And yeah, you, literally. <laughs> you need to get it like written somewhere or else it's going to leave forever. Exactly. Um, now if I have my notebooks with me, I use my, my store clock notebook or store clock workbook, which are these notebooks that I developed that, uh, through my company plot devices. And those are specific pl- pages, like for dropping in this pile of ideas. Um, and you can, and they have blocks for character blocks for theme, things that I tend to track. Cause I know those things, uh, theme especially are things th- that will help me find my through line of a story and extract ideas. So then what I'll do is, if it's in the IA writer doc, I'll then go and uh, I'll start, I'll open up, I'll find my story clock notebook or story clock workbook. And I'll try to basically take all those ideas, any of those ideas that are actual scenes or moments, and I will kind of picture my story like a clock. And I'm I'm sorry, I'm giving you the script for the promo for these notebooks. And so <laughs> you've probably seen or heard. So, but for the audience, if they don't know, like I'll just kind of go through it and Please forgive me for sounding like a salesman. No, I, I really wanted to talk about this, but I'm afraid I'm not going to have time. So please do because... Oh, no, I'll, just, I'll go as fast as I can. I just I, I, I like to visualize story like a clock. So if it's a two-hour movie, then the six o'clock mark would be your midpoint. And that's, your, that's an hour in. And um, basically, uh, I, it helps me to take these disjointed ideas and with my understanding of general story structure and where things, you know, I can tell this is probably toward the end. This is probably toward the middle this is probably toward the beginning. I'll drop those in just tentatively where I, where I imagine they're probably going to fall. And then I'm able to see the gaps in my story, like how I've got a, I've got D I've got G and how do I get like, how do I fill those gaps in between? And uh, by putting on a clock, what's interesting is I can then use symmetry to try and fill those gaps. So if I've got a gap on one end of the clock, I can look on the symmetrical opposite side of the clock to see, is there something over here, an idea I already have in that place that I could be building on or paying off? Or is there something up here that I could, that I could, uh, set up or foreshadow? Um, it's not a, it's doesn't work a hundred percent of the time. It doesn't get you to a finished outline, but it does get your story, like the gaps filled very like much quicker than if you were trying to inject random things in from the outside or get there from another way. It's a, it's a way to organically extract ideas from the ideas you already have so that the ideas feel native to the story. And so I'll often get to, if it's a good project and a good idea, I'll end up with a, 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 pretty fill that story clock pretty quickly that then is an outline that I can kind of start beefing up into a treatment. But by that point, I will have already, I haven't, uh, I live and love, uh, if I can only have two apps for the rest of my life, IA writer and Airtable would be my two apps. I have an Airtable full of all of my, um, uh, story ideas that I will, I will copy and paste the IA writer document into one of the fields. I'll pull any visual imagery like reference that I have into there to serve as like thumbnails in the grid. And then I will, uh, I will immediately rate it on uh, these sliders that we are in the story clock workbook from plot devices. We have this section that has sliders for like basically determining uh, your idea, how dark or light it is, how uh, ambitious or easy it might be. Um, ah. uh, and I, so I can quickly kind of like 
organize and categorize these things based on like how commercial I think it might be uh, and how you know indie or less commercial it might be, how niche it might be, how expensive I imagine it might be, and then uh, then I have it in I have it there in the database. And what's good about that is that allows me to then push the idea away. I can then when I'm when I'm no longer ex- like I'm kind of lost steam on it. I'm, it's not all just sitting in my head waiting to be forgotten. It's there. I can push it away and I can walk away and go back to whatever work I'm supposed to be doing. And I, and it, that's, that idea will come back to me later and find, and find me. That's, so you do all that in Airtable? Yeah. I'll, it'll all end up in Airtable. I'll do all the rudimentary work in my story clock workbook and then I'll, I'll end up transferring all of that data and information into my Airtable, uh, grid. This is giving me all sorts of ideas because I, I have a similar thing for, app ideas or video projects where I just have a giant like list in Apple notes Yeah, and I'll do the same thing where it's like at first it's a bullet point and then it's a bullet point with a million sub bullet points because I'm like, I'm super excited. This is definitely going to be, you know, the next million dollar idea. And I just like fill it up with stuff. And then once I get it kind of down, it's kind of like, all right, now my brain can just let it go because this is not really that good of an idea in the first place. But the problem is it's just a giant list. I don't respond to lists. I'm really bad. Just lists, they do nothing for my ADD brain. Like I, the idea of being able to make Airtable and then actually create a gallery view for it. Yeah. Where it's just thumbnails of reference imagery or think, you know, imagery that I've worked up. Yeah. Cause I'll have like bad sketches literally just dumped in this giant list and it's yeah very unorganized. I, I might have to play around with that. I especially like the idea of rating it on, you know, ambitiousness or viability or how niche it is. I have a checkbox that for good for if it's good, <laughs> if it's a good idea, there's a check. And I have like the the one that's really valuable to me is the excitement level. I will I will rate excitement level on like the idea itself. Does that change over time then? It definitely does. Okay. It changes like daily, but it helps me. I have it organized I have it right now where it's sorted by excitement level and and it, it helps it just helps me to open it up, see the things I'm really excited about. But then I kind of will scroll down regularly and be like, Oh yeah, there's that thing. What about that thing? And I especially save any of the bad ideas I have because I'm a big believer that your stupidest ideas are often your ultimately gonna be your favorite projects to make and often your like your best ones. You know, I, I heard one time Phil Lord and Chris Miller who wrote and directed the Lego movie and um Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, Spider-Verse and like, yeah, and 21 Jump Street. These guys are brilliant geniuses uh, and huge heroes of mine. They, I heard this like secondhand, so it may be made up, but I heard that they, if they get a studio note that uh, the studio doesn't like, they'll get a note that an idea isn't working. Like it's too crazy of an idea um, or too weird or too out there. Uh, then that means they just haven't gone far enough with it that they don't, they don't hear it as like, Oh, let's drop it or let's rate it in. They'll at least do another pass where they try to double down on it. And like, if you see their work, that makes absolute sense because yeah. their stuff is often just so unbelievably audacious and ambitious. And, and it works because they doubled down and committed to it and tried to find that because it's special it there's a reason that it excites them and so they had to find that way to make that excitement universal um so anyway that's that's how i organize my so well back to darker colors yeah sorry <laughs> i was just i'm glad i got that though because i have ideas no man no 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 i'm i love sharing this process stuff another thing that's really great by the way about the about the air table is that if people reach out to you and be like hey have you ever had a 
Have you thought about pitching stuff for like, do you have any kids ideas? Do you have any, uh, you know, family oriented ideas? And rather than having to go by memory, which you never remember anything you've ever seen or thought of when someone asks you for that. Right. Just Twister. Just Twister. God, <laughs> you know me and my brand so well. I went, uh, I can open up the air table and I can filter it by genre and say, yeah, well, there's this, 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 and this, and this that I would have never remembered otherwise. So a huge nerd for story organization. That's what I was going to say. So you do go back and reference it. Cause I I've had people like DM me like, Hey, I have this idea for an app and I'm like, crap, I have an idea that I wrote a bunch of stuff down that I'm never going to do. And I was just screenshot it and send it over to him and be like, steal any of this. Like, this is what I sort of dumped out a long time ago on it. So it's nice to have. Oh, I, I go back all the time. I'll open it. I'll open it once or twice a week just to look at it, especially this season I'm in right now where I'm coming off of a big project and I'm feeling I don't have any new ideas at the moment. And so I'm a little terrified by that. And also, you know, quarantined to my house. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, so there's no reason why I should expect myself to be this creative, overly productive person at the moment. But I still do. And I'll open up Airtable and just like try to generate new ideas for old things just to keep myself fresh. So anyway, Darker Colors was, I got this idea. I would carry, I carried this idea around and putting everything in IA writer and doing this whole process that I just, you know, play, spelled out. And so I'm trying to remember the timeline, but it was 2000. And I, I, I think we're okay. Like spoiling the idea here. So like, Oh yeah. The, the essential, yeah, no, the seed of the, the, the initial first seed was a little girl's drawings coming to life, uh, as like a girl's monster drawing, basically kids drawings coming, come to life and played out as a monster movie. And when you say that there's, there's like a thousand versions of that movie that come to your mind. And almost all of them are in my opinion, played out and old news and, and bad. And there's like two that are weird and interesting. And I wanted to do one of those <laughs> two ways. And as I developed the story, it became, it became the story about grief and about a family having just uh, experienced loss and like how each of these family members are processing that grief. And this little girl her way of processing it is that she draws really hilariously disturbing pictures of people that make her mad. She draws monsters very creatively, uh, dis- destroying these people. And she draws this, like these violent pictures. And it's not, it's, it, it's funny. It's not like a, it's played from a very, with a very comic slant. It's not played from like a, you know, super like creepy. We're supposed to be worried about her way. It's more of like, if you've ever had kids, you hear the stories they make up. My kids will make up the weirdest, most dark stories that all involve, oh, we're, or- we're orphans. Our parents died in a fire. <laughs> and you're like, what? Like, where is this coming it's from? It's almost like that's how every Disney movie it starts. It is. And, <laughs> and so... I had I had made like before this I had made uh, a few short films with my son where I took his drawings and animated them and made these really fun little shorts out of those and I thought this could be a fun opportunity to make kind of a Jurassic Park meets Roger Rabbit meets Inside Out kind of a thing where I say Roger Rabbit because you're like blending two mediums like how can you bring illustrated mon- animated monster or hand drawn monsters into the real world and have them retain their scribbliness. Uh, the monsters can be made of the material that she drew them with. And so they'd leave these colorful trails. And if you, you know, if one's made of crown, you could melt it with fire. But the, the thing that made me want to make it, the thing that actually 
kept me excited for so many years and still now is when I was a kid, when I, well, I wasn't a kid when I was in college, my little brother was in middle school at the time. And he drew a, he, a picture of his teacher getting pelted by arrows and he had to be, go see a therapist because of this drawing. And the therapist ended up asking him, he said, well, Ben, do you actually want to see your teacher get hurt? Like, do you actually want to hurt her? And he said, no, I, Maybe I did when I drew it, but after I drew it, I didn't. And he said, then I think you made the right choice. I think you made a very, I think you made the healthy choice by drawing this. I think drawing this was a very good thing to do. And I remember hearing that and thinking, what a badass thing to say to a kid. Like, (laughs) what an empowering thing to say to a kid. Like, this thing that has made you feel like a freak is actually the, the healthiest, best thing you could have done in that moment. And how empowering that is. And so I, I wanted to, I saw this opportunity to tell the story about this girl who everyone around her could see her as broken. And, but by the end of the story, we flipped it to show that she's the healthiest one out of everybody here. And that this darkness is not something that she needs to fear or be ashamed of. It's something she should own and embrace as a superpower. And, that became this this thing that I was like, I have to make this. Oh my God, do I have to make this? Uh, but I also have to <laughs> keep my family alive. And so I kept, you know, <laughs> I so I, I continued doing commercials and doing various other projects. And this was always the thing in the back of my head that like, this is the movie. This is gonna be my first feature and I've got to figure out how to get this made. And uh, I had just moved out to Los Angeles uh, with my family, we were we were thriving. We loved it out there. I was just trying to figure out. I went out there with the goal of just trying my damnedest to get into rooms and just to fail. Try to pitch more things. Try to develop more contacts and just kind of sell out as much as I possibly could out there. Needless to say, I kept carrying this movie around for at least another you know a year. So 2016 to 2017. It was so like, then as we got into that summer, uh, we released the story clock notebook and we threw a Kickstarter and I started plot devices and that happened for that next year in 2017. And I had started directing some more commercials in LA, uh, with a company called sandwich video. Um, it, it was a lot going on. And by the end of the year, my boss at red giant said, uh, his name's, uh, Chad Beckert, he's very much like a mentor to me, is a mentor to me. He said, he challenged me. He was like, if you could only work on one thing in 2018, what would it be? And I said, well, it would be five things. Can it be five things? <laughs> and so he challenged me and I said, you know, honestly, I would write, I would try to get this movie made. If I, if that's the one thing that if I didn't do it, I would, I would be, I would, it would, I would regret it. And so he gave me, he basically like challenged me. He's like, you know, Still do your job at Red Giant, but double down and focus on that. He even gave me a month off. He gave me the month of January off of, uh, yeah, off from my job to, uh, write, to focus on writing the script and figure out ways to get it made. So I spent Man. the first half of the month figuring out what to do with that month. And, <laughs> and then the second half of the month furiously writing. And I got my first draft done by February of 2018. 
and it was 160 pages and it was which is a lot yeah i was about to say i don't have a reference (laughs) for those who are for those who are not writers like uh, a page tends to equal one minute of screen time so most scripts are between 100 and 120 pages between 90 and 120 pages this was 160 pages (laughs) and so i that's pretty common though isn't it very common for it to be a first draft but but still like writing is the worst it's the loneliest worst experience until it's going well and it's not going well until you're almost done and i had this 160 page draft and i just and i had no way of knowing like how to go and get it made aside from my usual channels of doing things super low budget but i was here i was trying to get to a new level of things things and i didn't want to go make a feature film and then have nowhere to put it have no outlet for it i wanted through this experience to learn the business so that i could do this try to get to do this more full time and not just be making things for the internet, you know, and, and marketing them with a tweet for the rest of my life. Uh, although these days, uh, full features are still for the internet, I guess. Exactly. Right. So, (laughs) yeah, but anyway, I was just trying to, you know, trying to level up. So, you know, that February I have that draft. I take a break. I work on on other things. My job at Red Giant, commercials, plot devices, stuff. And plot devices, just to just to confirm for people listening, is the company through which I make my notebooks, the story clock notebook and workbook, and the storyboard workbook. Yeah, which are by the way awesome, and you should go check out. And if you're ever interested in running a Kickstarter or some sort of campaign, just go watch all the stuff for that campaign. We're not going to be able to get into it today, but like, oh, thanks, man. The way that you did that was awesome and seemed to be very successful. So I would use that as a good uh, reference. Thanks, man. So. Anyway, got to be around summer of 2018 and Chad calls me up and says, hey, listen, they just did your peer reviews at Red Giant. We just did all our our peer reviews where we all review each other, fill out these surveys. He said, so most of the feedback for you was that people miss you making short films at Red Giant. This was other employees at Red Giant. Yeah, other employees. They were like, uh, basically, they were saying very kind things like, we love what he's doing with social media. I love what he's doing with marketing stuff but we would we miss when he would make short films uh and they all kind of get to be a part of that to some degree right like is that a team effort yes yes ideally yes it very much is and especially within the marketing team it's a team effort um he said would you ever want to make a proof of concept short for darker colors and i the problem with proof of concept shorts is that they are either the worst version of your movie or they're the best version and both of those are bad things if it's bad no one's going to want to see the bigger version like no one's going to want to see the the bigger bowler the ultimate version of it but if it's really good they'll already have seen the ultimate version of it and it's going to be hard for you to get lightning in a bottle a second time but obviously i don't want to pass this up he said uh, he was like you know look uh you could you could still own the story uh my only stipulation is that i just want the short to be able to live on red giant's youtube channel and in perpetuity. And he's like, cause just even if red giants not involved with the feature version, uh, whatever, however that plays out, I'd love for red giant to still be a part of the narrative of the movie getting made. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, incredibly generous offer, like incredibly supportive and encouraging and awesome. So I set out then to write a short that would be, that would show off the value of the idea, show off the visual effect, allow me to experiment with the visual effects and ultimately make something that even if, if I never get to make the feature, at least I've made something out of this idea. And uh, yeah, 
So then things got even more complicated. If you can, if you can even believe that this story keeps going, <laughs> shot that in December of 2018, uh, moved into post, uh, without a, a known release date. Really, it was going to be, we were, Red Giant was developing visual effects suite and working on Red Giant Complete, which are both now out. Red Giant Complete is the full subscription package of all of our stuff. Visual effects suite is this amazing new suite of products for, um, compositing and uh all around like cleanup and paint tools and adding you know explosions and things and the idea was that the film would come out it was always like the film's going to come out after we get those things out and then those things kept getting delayed so this short post on the short ended up going an entire year was that more frustrating or was that kind of like nice that you got to kind of keep polishing on it it was ultimately a good thing that I had time to polish on it because it wasn't polished. It was building. Like it was, I was figuring out how to do these visual effects during that time. Because another thing happened was that I, some support that I had attached to the post-production side because of some, it, uh, when I say it, not even politics, but some, some developments happened that caused those people to no longer be uh, available to me. So I ended up having to do way more visual effects on it than I was planning to do. And, and that includes way more visual effects than I knew how to do. And so, so what happened right at the beginning of 2018, this is again in February, cause all these things happen in February, apparently. Um, <laughs> I was having lunch with my friend, Tony Hale, he's an actor who uh, was on Veep and Arrested Development. Uh, he's the voice of Forky in Toy Story. Um, he, he and I are friends. We go back several years and he asked me, you know, how's the short going? Cause I had, I've checked in with him about this project and I had secretly been writing the lead character in the feature who is the, uh, the short features all kids, but the, there are more grownups in the feature. And he was, I, in my head was secretly writing this main character based off of him. He had read various drafts of the feature and given me notes just as a friend. But he, so at this lunch, he asked me, so he asked me how the short was going and I pulled it and I showed him the sizzle reel I had cut from the short, from footage of the short. And he flipped and was like, have you ever thought about making this a, a show? Like, he's like, I would, I, if he, if it helped, would help you at all to come on as a producer and help you get this pitched. I'm here. I, you don't have to, but like, I, I'm, I would love to help you any way I can. And I was like, well, buddy, I'll do you one. I'll make it even more awkward. I think you not only would be an amazing producing partner on this, but I think you would be amazing as the dad character. And he said, I would love that. Why don't we just try to get this made as a show? And then if nobody wants to make it, then let's make it as a, go make it as a movie somehow. Suddenly the movie had new life and we took it over to a company called Rideback, which is um, Dan Lin, who's a friend of Tony's, is... The, they they produced the Lego movies, the It movies, Sherlock Holmes movies, the most recent Aladdin reboot, uh, remake. The, they got the story and got the project immediately, like off of the 160-page draft. They understood it in a way that no one else that had read it had understood it. And this is, this is all last year? Yeah. Before, okay, just clarifying where we're at. Yeah, yeah. So they said, you know, if you're willing to work with us to get the script in shape, we'd love to take this out as a, as a package and get it and try to get it set up somewhere. As a, as a movie, they said, but we think it would be better as a movie than as a show. So it's gone back and forth from being a show, a movie show, a movie show. So now suddenly I was in this phase where I'm finishing the short that I'm making for Red Giant that's a proof of concept, but I have just attached a star, a producing, par- and two producing partners to this thing. 
off a sizzle reel of footage from the short. And I was like, really, I could, if this weren't a Red Giant short film, I could just stop right now and focus on the feature and not finish the short. But I couldn't do that because I owed this short to Red Giant. And because there still was no guarantee the feature would get off the ground, I need to finish the short. Right. But then the other thing that happened was that, oh man, I don't know why I'm getting into the weeds with you with this, but I think just because it's <laughs> i mean if you don't want it out there i can always cut it but i'm finding it fascinating no i know it's more like this might be really boring and tedious but i had i had gotten my friend i had convinced my friend robbie stambler to do the sound design for the film and robbie did sound design for 10 cloverfield lane um overlord he's worked on several star wars uh he's literally one of the best he's a freaking genius and i uh, did not expect him to say yes, and he did. So I had him, I uh, had a window of time where I could get him to do the sound design for the film. And that window of time would close the second JJ and team got back from London after from Rise of Skywalker, from the Rise of Skywalker shoot. And because then Robbie was going to go in and be JJ's in house uh, temp sound mix guy. He was like, I won't have time to work on it then. So suddenly I now had a new draft of the feature due to my like that was now due to be delivered i had a due date for it with my real legit big hollywood producers uh producing partners and i also had my little short that if i didn't get the edit locked uh but within that same time period i would lose the one of the key players and key ingredients to making this short great so i found myself in those two months all of a sudden like like struggling to get this short working and get the, ed- the get the edit locked and get it uh, feeling like not a pile of garbage and trying to rewrite my movie. Uh, and this actual process continued because of delays and people and Robbie continuing to be available. It turned out that deadline wasn't as hard as we all thought it was. And be- each draft I turned in, ride back had even better notes and every time amazing notes to get it and get this thing in shape. And that went for the rest of 2018 and it wasn't. So how do you, how did you like, how did you bifurcate your time? Like, how did you decide horribly? <laughs> I really did. Like I, I decided, I really decided, okay, uh, I, I'm, it's all a blur because during this period of time, dude, I'm also in LA and I'm running out of money and my wife and I decided we should move back to Nashville temporarily and kind of recenter ourselves um, and figure out what's next for us or at the same time. So like things were, it's a blur in my head and not a fun season of time that I look back on. But if, like, I, I feel like I would devote like blocks of days, just like this week I'm getting the short locked and then I will focus on the feature. Cause, and looking back, I really should have just gotten up in the morning, written in the morning and edited in the afternoon. Like my brain works better that way. If I would have just trusted the process, it would have been, it would have worked just fine. But instead I was like, no, I'm not moving to the script until I work on. Until I finish the short and the whole time though, I'm feeling that guilt of like, why are you working on the short? You have the producers of the Lego movies, like waiting on you to turn in your freaking feature draft. Um, but, uh, yeah. So 2018 played out like that of finishing, just gradually finishing the short and turning in draft after draft to the feature. And we ended up at the end of the year of 2000. Have I said 18 and 19? We're in 2019 at this point. Right. I think you said 18, but I, I was tracking 19 Sorry. for some reason. Yeah. 
Thank you. 2019. So we've gone through that. By the end of 2019, we've ended up with the feature that I everybody is unbelievably proud of and over the moon about that I am feel confident is one of the best things I've ever written. And that is definitely has nothing like is not just because of me or anything that I did. It, I had amazing notes and feedback from uh, the team at Rideback and from Tony and I couldn't be more proud of it. And we've been shopping that feature around now, meeting with several places and we're in talks at several places with it, but it's still none of it's all, none of it's concrete yet. And none of it is like still, it's still not at the stage where we can like announce anything or I can even tell you what's sure. going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I can't even tell you what's going to happen with it. Meanwhile, the short got done. We finally got to a point where, Hey, let's put it out there. And we, uh, we launched the short and put it out there and, I know that we're like way over time now with just me answering this question, but uh, suffice to say the shorts out. I'm proud of it. It's not as good as the feature. I'm still proud of it. People who have watched it seem to have really liked it. Uh, I wish more people would watch it, but that's how it goes. You know, like in work, like I said before, we're in a season where people are not pushing play on things as much as they used to. So, right. A r- extremely well done, uh, internet short is not as novel as it used to be exactly and i knew that but i going in but i was in denial still because like i'm not going to pass up this opportunity to do this but there wasn't back in my head the whole time like seth should you be working this hard on this and the answer is yes like i learned so much on this thing that is going to go right into whatever the next thing is whenever we're all allowed to leave our homes again whatever that next thing is and maybe it's the feature version of this i can tell you the feature is a thousand times better because of my experience on the short because of things that i learned didn't work uh, the way i thought they might and uh i i wouldn't change it as much as it was a very long and difficult drawn out process i wouldn't change in it, uh, any bit of it yeah so like for the launch itself uh, it's interesting because you, you already had sort of some stuff worked out and some connections then, uh, which I guess was because of the short because you made that sizzle reel. But what kind of like your ultimate goal, obviously the goal for Red Giant and the ultimate goal was this thing gets a lot of attention so that people watch all the other material you make around how you made it and see what tools you used. Many of them are Red Giant tools. Um, but also personally, like your goal is you want it to be seen both because I assume you're proud of it and excited, but also like you kind of want to get attention on the idea. What kind of things did you do to try to like promote it or hype it up beforehand or as the day that it came out, what did you do? Yeah. Well, I had been talking about it, you know, in podcasts, um, on social media, because you can't help it when something is consuming your life and you want to share it with the world so badly, you can't help but leak little bits of it out when you are allowed to. So I, people, at least my followers, like have been aware of the project. Then I, working with the team at Red Giant, working with the rest of the marketing team at Red Giant, specifically Marta Svitek, who's our, our new social media um, and communities manager, she is, uh, she and I worked together to create a campaign uh, of teasers. And the, like I cut like a thousand versions of a teaser with a thousand, like, 
like in all sorts of aspect ratios. <laughs> and I learned that it's weird when your movie is in vertical as like is vertically uh, uh, oriented. It weirdly l- feels more legitimate, which is such a weirdly depressing thing to, to say. But like <laughs> it is like when I saw it in the vertical ra- uh, crop to vertical, I was like, oh, this actually looks like a real movie now. No, no, yeah, this is bad. This could go on Times Square. Yeah. Think of it like that. Not not Twitter. That's better. I like that. So uh, but no, I made a bunch of teasers made a bunch of like we basically just tried to like create a like a bunch of really cool teasers and trailers and I made an Airtable grid like I can't help myself with all of our behind the scenes uh production photos with a bunch of stills with uh gifts that I made for our Red Giant Giphy account. If you're on Giphy like you just search darker colors you'll get a whole bunch of uh, darker colors. You'll see a bunch of our gifts that we made. Ah, do they have like, they have watermarks and stuff on them too, I assume? Uh, no, they have, well, no, they actually are just, it's just like if someone went and made gifts and watched it and made gifts of like some of the memorial gotcha. lines and stuff. Okay. And then, and then we made uh, st- Instagram stickers too. So if you search on Giphy and uh, gift stickers and Instagram stories, you can, there are darker colors uh, stickers there. Not, like just a, a bunch of content and a bunch of behind the scenes content and a bunch of like uh, 10 second clips, 10 to 15 second clips from our BT, our behind the scenes uh, videos, just so that we could, the idea was to make this short film a content machine that would generate tutorials and behind the scenes pieces and social media posts for uh, like the rest of the year if we wanted to. And we still have a bunch of content that we still have in the works that uh, has kind of been slower to churn out now that we're all working from home and surrounded by our kids. But, you know, the idea was just to, I mean, you'll go look at my social media feeds. You'll see, you can tell when that movie came out uh, because my Instagram like grid is just darker color stuff three <laughs> times a day for like two weeks. But we just made as much stuff as we possibly could around all of the stuff that we captured around the film. We also made, I can't forget to mention that, you know, Michael Lanier who's one of my, uh, partners at Plot Devices and co-founders. He actually my two my two partners at Plot Devices and co-founders Anne Fogarty. She produced the the, the short and Michael Lanier uh, designed all of the he designed the logo and he designed the um, posters and uh, key art that we have uh, that it is really really cool. Yeah, like those crazy like posters like you'd see in a movie theater of all the kids oh uh, yeah the character portraits yeah 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 those are awesome they are cool aren't they yeah photographer daniel Miggs took the pictures and then micah was a creative kind of did the creative direction on those and i i i argue like i i was able to get a marketing budget for the film very small one by coming in under a budget on a another red just totally separate red giant ad um that i was tasked with making I basically, I said, I went to Chad and said, I really would love a little bit of money to be able to put toward marketing this thing. So we're not just putting the short online and tweeting about it. Like I want to put out as much imagery as we can about it. And he said, well, whatever you don't spend on the Red Giant Complete ad, you know, as long as the Red Giant Complete ad is great, then go for it. So I, as an aside, that ad is amazing, especially if like, many of my uh, people that listen to the show are are app developers it's you're almost like tongue-in-cheek making fun of the whole subscription people yeah. hate subscriptions thing uh you just lean into it in a way that i feel like is really effective and oh thank god thanks uh, if i ever have to go subscription like there's ideas from that that i have written down that i'm like all right 
like maybe try and take this approach because it's tricky like it is. there's a lot of devs that have gotten really burned with trying to add a subscription model to their apps no and that's what we're aware of like that was a team decision our marketing team we're all in a room together and we have been talking about like how do we market red giant complete and the big thing that you know i kept saying that everyone kept saying was like People hate subscriptions. We have to remember that they hate subscriptions. And we talk about what the video could be. I was like, what if we just, we we frame it like it's a video essay on why subscriptions suck. And, and then literally have me unable to, like unable to do a visual effect in, in my video essay because I don't have a product. And another like host, like another explainer, a personality comes in and the rest of the video is them explaining to me, and convincing me that, oh, this is actually really useful and really ideal for my situation. And I would actually benefit from having subscriptions. And kudos to Chad and to Aaron and all the leadership at Red Giant for letting us go do that. Go make a video for a subscription service that starts out by saying subscriptions are the worst. That's a pretty risky thing to do. So I am very relieved that you said that it's, at least in your eyes, effective. Um it was fun to do just, yeah, it's fun to just be honest and crap all over an idea you're promoting in a video. Yeah, it's just, it's really tricky. And I've seen everybody try every idea. Some of them land, some of them yeah. don't. But it, it's easy to kind of straw man it and like almost make fun of people who think subscriptions are bad. That's where you go wrong. That's the thing is, if yeah. I had been a troll, like then but no the thing is i'm saying things that you agree with but i'm just with a slant of straw man you know stupidity but then like if everyone is i learned this from adam lissagor at sandwich video like as long as you are telling the truth and you're telling it in a plain spoken way you can get away with so much more than you could ever dream like people want that in advertising it's what's so refreshing about what adam does if you're not familiar with sandwich video go to sandwich uh dot co uh, i think is their url and watch through their work watch through adam's work like his stuff is so refreshing because it's so plain spoken and honest and 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 with a slant of weird and it's it's why i rip him off and all of these explainer videos that i've been doing at red giant <laughs> yeah i i definitely i i really liked that uh that particular one i actually had that listed as a thing you know in case we had a hard time filling out an hour which i've gone ridiculously over your time i'm already so on. sorry oh i've gone over your time i've been the one talking man oh no i i've got plenty of time but uh no so yeah definitely i would check that out uh anybody who's considering trying to do subscriptions obviously you're not going to be able to probably produce a video like that but just the way you communicate those ideas i think is effective as long as you're not being like mean which i think you effectively did not do but like i don't know it's one of those weird things right where like you could dial it too far you in could, the 100 percent, and that's uh there are people that do that and it's weird it's yeah. it's weird when it becomes cynical and mean which is why i think it takes a lot of trust from you know the, the the guy at the top to trust whoever is creatively running an ad like that to let yeah. you go in that direction absolutely it totally does just shows you the creative freedom oh, this the theme of this is this whole podcast has been how much creative freedom i have at red giant and how uh, freakishly ridiculous it is that i'm allowed to do the things that i do <laughs> Well, um, I'll, I'll try to wrap this up. Uh, again, apologies for taking up so much of your time. 
Um, no, man, this is a blast. The thing I, I ask everybody, uh, and you kind of alluded to earlier, maybe you've already answered this, is what's a person uh, that's been a big inspiration for you and your work that you'd recommend other people check out? Uh, hands down, it's my friend Andy Miller. He has a podcast called Creative Pep Talk. He's an illustrator, a speaker, uh, uh, podcast podcaster personality. The guy is one of the most creative, intelligent, wise, funny, inspiring people I've ever met. Go check out Creative Pep Talk. He, it's a podcast that's geared toward any creative professionals. It's all about basically he, his mission is to help creative professionals learn how to thrive and not just survive in their careers. Uh, he's also outspokenly ADD uh, and champions the neurodiverse label uh, for uh, people it's he's he's just literally one of he's just the best and everything he does inspires me and we keep trying to find new things to work on together we've we've only worked together maybe once in the past on this very fun kid show pitch that we did with joey ellis with our friend joey ellis called leaky timbers um but yeah andy miller uh andy j pizza if you go to andy j pizza andy it might be andy j dot pizza or andy j pizza.com uh, but creative pep talk is his podcast. Definitely check him out. Awesome. I will definitely do that. Cause I don't know that I'm actually familiar with him. Oh man. You got to get him. Got to get him on the pod. He's oh, awesome. Man. Yeah. All right. Um, well I will finally let you go. Where can people find you on the internet and all the stuff that you do? Uh, uh, my bunch of my work is at sethworley.com. Uh, you can also check out the notebooks I talked about my products at plotdevices.co. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at awakeland3d. This is back before people were using their actual names as their handles on social media and email. Um, but awakeland3d is me at Twitter and Instagram. And uh, and you can watch any films and work that I do with Red Giant at redgiant.com. I think that's all of them. Awesome. Charlie, thanks for having me, man. No, thank you so much for coming on. Like like I said at the beginning, this was uh I've been a really big fan of yours for a long time and so it it was really exciting to to get to talk to you about all this stuff. Oh, uh, this was a blast, dude. And I love what you're doing with your podcast, man. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, bud. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launchedfm. You can also discuss the episode with me, other listeners, and sometimes our guests on our dedicated subreddit, r slash launched.fm. If you like the show, I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. 